0: It was probably the most excruciating 30 seconds you've ever waited. Let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. For those visiting, we are going through a study in the book of Revelation. We are beginning, we have Uh, finished the first seven judgments um, that came about. uh, They were called the seal judgments. We are actually on the seventh seal today. So let's just read uh, the first (coughs) verse of chapter 8. When he opened the seventh seal, that's the Lord Jesus, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, you were squirming at 30 seconds. Imagine 30 minutes of silence. So I'm going to get back to that in just a minute. So I want to talk, first of all, about the fact that there, as we've already studied, there are three sets of seven judgments that uh, we read about in the book of Revelation. The first um, are the seal judgments. Do you have, have that? There we go. Okay. So the first set of judgments uh, are the sealed judgments. There are seven of those. Out of the seventh judgment, a uh, sealed judgment, comes the um, trumpet judgments. And so we begin these judgments today. We're going to look at the first two of the, of the seven trumpet judgments today. And then out of the seventh trumpet judgment, we have seven bowl judgments that are found next in the Scripture. From chapter 4 to the end of chapter 7, there has been a lot of noise in this book of Revelation. There is noise in heaven, and there's noise on earth, lightning and thunder around God's throne in chapter 4, verse 5 loud angelic voices in chapters 5 and 6, choirs of angels and men in chapters 4 and 5. And then all of creation joins the chorus in chapter 5, verse 13. Then we see in chapter 5, the martyrs, um, actually chapter 6, the martyrs cries for vengeance. They are killed for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and for the testimony that they bear uh, for him. And they're martyred for their faith and they cry out under the altar to the Lord to avenge them uh, of their blood. There were four horsemen we read about. There was a large earthquake and there seemed to be loud noises, good and bad, coming from all directions. There is sensory overload as you read through the first um Seven chapters of the book of Revelation, and the seventh seal is about to be opened, containing fourteen more judgments: the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, and uh, when the seventh seal is open, there is silence. Silence for six for thirty minutes. And the first seal judgments really are simply birth pangs. Remember when Jesus was on earth and he talked about future events, and he talked about the birth pangs that would come, earthquakes, and um, these things would foreshadow the intense judgments that would come. These are birth pangs that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 24, verse 7 and 8, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, that's wars, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows, he said. So that's the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. We are now entering into a new phase of judgment. The judgments are going to be more severe, more deadly, and more terrifying. And just as the illustrations suggest of a woman in in childbirth, The closer you get to the birth of the child, the more intense the labor pains are, the quicker they come, and uh, the the longer they last. And so, uh, that's what's going to happen with these last fourteen judgments. They're coming quicker. They're going to be more severe. And it is called in the scripture the day of the Lord. It is called the great tribulation that distinguishes itself, the second half of the uh, tribulation period is is distinguished by the term the great tribulation, and it is called the great day of his wrath. In Revelation 6.17, it says, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? And it's naturally, you ask the question, well, why? does the Lord Jesus pour out wrath upon the earth? Why? It is because the world is filled with unrepentant sinners. It's because God loves the world. He sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, and people have rejected the only way of heaven. And the only thing left for them, if they rejected the only way of salvation they are going to be lost. They are going to be punished. It is because the world is filled with sinners. In the days of Noah, every man did what was right in his own eyes. It says in the scripture, every imagination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And God sent a flood to destroy all of mankind except for Noah and his family who had faith in the Lord. I want you to look around you as you go about your work week, as you go about your week this week, uh, and you look around you, you read the newspaper, you watch television news, you see just the climate of evil that has permeated our society, and ask yourself, are we living in days like the days of Noah? And I suggest to you, we are. But as the days of Noah were, Jesus said, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. I want to ask you something. Why was Jesus hated When he was on earth, you say, well, wait a minute. He wasn't hated while he was on earth. People flocked to him. Jesus said he was hated. Why was Jesus hated? He wasn't hated because he turned water into wine. He wasn't hated when he fed thousands of people. He wasn't hated when he healed the sick, or he made the blind to see, or the uh, lame to walk. Jesus wasn't hated when he raised the dead. Jesus wasn't hated because he caused the storm and the winds to cease and cast demons out of people. Jesus wasn't hated for any of these reasons. Jesus said, The world hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. And when Jesus stood against the crowd and he spoke out against sin, People hated him. And if we speak out against sin, if we take a stand against sin, people will hate us too. Jesus said that. The the servant is not greater than his master. Jesus said, and this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. The world hates Jesus because it is so in love with sin. The world glories in its sin. It is proud of its sin. It is intolerant of the truth and it is tolerant of every evil. The Bible says woe to everyone who calls evil good and good evil. Jesus said the world hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You see it is our sin that separates us from God. But God doesn't hate you. God loves you. And God is not willing that any should perish. And that's why he sent the Lord Jesus Christ to the cross, that all might come to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Only those who have turned from their sin, who have repented of their sin, and placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone will be saved. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But we've seen so far in the sealed judgments that people are unwilling to repent. You would think that with all of the calamities uh, coming upon them, that they would say, I need to be right with God, but they don't. And by the time we get to the end of the sixth trumpet judgment, we read this. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Silence in heaven. We've heard all of this noise in the seven judgments that have come, and now there is silence. In uh, verse 1 and 2, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. I believe this pregnant pause was uh, purposely assigned uh, for this time so that it would gather the attention of the people on earth. Wake up. You've heard all this noise. You've seen all of this calamity. You've seen all these judgments. Pause. The the silence is deafening in a case like that. And just as a conductor stops the orchestral tuning, he sees every eye fixed on him, and he's ready to start the, the orchestra, start the music. And so the Lord demands silence in heaven for half an hour. It's the calm before the storm. Judgment is about to be poured out upon the earth in a fearsome way. But before it begins... 30 minutes of silence. And if you thought you were uncomfortable in 30 seconds, think of 30 minutes of that discomfort and you'd be squirming in your seats. Seven trumpets are given to seven angels, but they don't blow the trumpets yet. A significant event must first occur in heaven before the outpouring of judgment on the earth. And we read this in verses 3 through 5. Um, and we will, in, in verses 3 through 5, we'll see that the martyrs' prayers that we read about earlier are answered, they're finally answered uh, by God. God will punish those who have murdered His people. And the blood of the martyrs has cried out, and God will answer with vengeance. God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay and in Isaiah 61.2, it says, this is the day of vengeance of our God. And so we come across a golden censer in uh, the next verses, the golden censer in Revelation 8, 3 through 5. It says, then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Well, what is this all about? If you remember some of your Old Testament studies, you will remember that in the tabernacle and later in the temple of God, there was a bronze altar upon which the priests of Israel would offer sacrifices for sin. Those sacrifices were offered to God as an atonement. They were to cover Their sin temporarily. They didn't take the sin away. Only Jesus can take the sin sin away. And that's why John the Baptist looked at Jesus when he saw him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So up till that point, sin was not removed. It was not taken away. Only Jesus could do that. But they came and they offered sacrifices. And on this altar, of course, there were burning coals to consume the sacrifices. And part of the priestly duty was to go in and to gather some of the coals from the altar and put them into a censer. A censer was a in um, uh, the original censers were made of bronze, but later when Solomon was king, he made them out of gold. And here in the heavenly censer, which is an antitype of what they saw on earth, there, there's a golden censer, and it's sort of like a pan. It's the best way I can describe it. It's like a flat pan, um, probably with a handle. There's no real description given of it in the Scripture, but so we have to assume that it's like that. And they put coals on this pan from the altar of sacrifice. And then they would bring it inside the, um, the temple or inside the tabernacle, depending on what time um, they were in history. And uh, they would take it, and they would have in their hand uh, sweet-smelling incense. And they would put the incense, they would throw incense on top of the uh, flaming, fiery coals, and it would fill the building with this cloud of incense. Then it would smell fragrant, a sweet-smelling aroma to God. It's very interesting that this... um, um, Issue of the censor and the uh, and the incense and all of that is, is found. You can read about the details of it in both the books of Exodus and Leviticus, and you might want to do that. But I want to turn your attention to one event in the New Testament. If you remember, when uh, John the Baptist was about to be born, uh, Elizabeth was pregnant with John, and God told his father Zacharias that he was going to have a child. Uh, his wife, he and his wife could not have children up to that point. They had waited a long time. They didn't think it was possible. God told him he was going to have a baby. It, it, at that particular time, Zacharias, the, the father of John the Baptist, in Luke chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, uh, it says, So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense. So it was his turn to go into the temple and to take those um, coals and to offer that sweet-smelling incense to the Lord. And when he went into the temple of the... So he did this uh, in the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Now, it's interesting that there is a close connection in the Scripture between the offering of the incense and the prayers of God's people. And the fragrant incense that ascends to God on the altar of incense is commingled with the prayers of his saints. Prayers are associated with, it, with incense burning in the book of Revelation as well. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, we read this, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp, and golden bowls full of incense. say, well, that just says it's incense. No, but wait, the rest of the verse says, which are the prayers of the saints. And so God closely connects that event of this sweet-smelling aroma coming up to him as the prayers of the saints. When you get down on your knees and you pray, your prayers are a sweet-smelling aroma to God. That's what it's saying. When God hears your cries, when God hears your pleas, when God hears your requests, it is pleasing to him because it demonstrates you are trusting in the living God. And so in in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, in the fifth seal judgment, John saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. These are the martyrs we talked about and for the testimony which they held. The prayers of the martyrs ascend to God from the place of the incense altar. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They offered the Lord a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, that was their prayer, well-pleasing to God, as we read about in Philippians 4.18. There has to come a time God has been patient. God has been long-suffering. God has held back His judgments. And oftentimes we look at things in life and we say, that is just not fair. How do these people get away with this? How do people get away with murder? Why doesn't God step in? Well, here he does. And here he has been waiting for people to repent of their sin. And he sees that they're not going to. And now judgment is coming. He is now going to answer the prayer of the martyrs. And the time has come when those responsible for the murders of God's children are held accountable. If God is righteous and God is holy, and God is true, and he is, he must execute judgment for the oppressed and take vengeance as a righteous judge against the criminals who have committed such atrocities. And that time has come here in Revelation chapter 8. And the fragrant incense of the prayers of the saints has risen to God for centuries. Martyrs have spilled their blood for centuries, waiting for the Lord's response. And now the judgment must take place. In Revelation chapter 8, 3 and 4, <clears throat> it's talking about the angel. We read of the angel, He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints Ascended before God from the angel's hand. And so here we have God's answer to the cries of the martyrs. Verse 5, Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. The silence is broken. The outpouring of God's wrath has begun and the great tribulation is now underway. The prayers of the saints ascended as a sweet-smelling aroma to God and he is answering now with swift judgment upon the wicked, just as he promised. The cries of the martyrs, and so we want to look at <clears throat> the cries of the martyrs, uh, reach the ears of the Almighty. They said, as we read, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Cries for justice. Cries for help. Appeals to the Lord to avenge us of our adversaries. Deep longings for justice. And the petitions that the Lord will defend the righteous and punish the wicked, they're all answered here in the next judgments. In Psalm chapter 12, verse 5, it says, For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. <clears throat> if you read the Psalms, you will see that David wrote in Psalm 73. It was a time when he was really disturbed and perplexed by how the unrighteous men around him, seemed to succeed. They were wicked, and yet they just seemed to skate through life with nothing, no judgment, no punishment, nothing. And it disturbed him. And he said, how is it that the wicked prosper and the righteous are punished? This makes no sense. And in Psalm 73, 17, he says, all of these thoughts were in his head. He said, until... I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places, you cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation, as in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. If this is the longing of your heart, as you look at unrighteousness on the earth, and you say, Lord, how is this right? that the wicked get away with their wickedness and the innocent suffer? Why is there no justice? Why is there no fairness? If that's the longing that you have in your heart, you have come into the house of the Lord. And this is your answer today. This is what the Lord is going to do in response to hundreds, thousands of years of unrighteous behavior on the part of mankind. The time has come for God to make things right. All the wrongs, all the atrocities, the time for silence is over. The time for judgment has begun. And it says in the scripture, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. He is going to take care of business. He is going to take care of all of the unrighteousness. So in um. The next studies that we have, including today, the seven, we're going to look at the seven trumpet judgments, verses 11, so, uh, sorry, uh, Revelation 8, 6 through chapter 11, verse 19. And it's interesting as you look at these judgments, the seven judgments, the first four uh, target creation. God's judgment is on his own creation. And the last three target mankind except for the 144,000 Jewish witnesses that God has sealed for his purpose to be a witness to him on the earth at this time. Now, if you go back to the seal judgments, we've already learned that in one of the seven seal judgments, 25% of the world's population will be killed. And so we've said... If there are eight billion people left on the earth at that time, two billion people will die in one single judgment. Then there's all the other judgments, the famine, the wars, the pestilence, and all the rest of it, and we don't have a number for that. We don't know, but it would be millions, I'm sure. But two billion in one. Um, And then in the fourth, that was in the fourth seal of uh, Revelation 6, 7, and 8. And so we come to the trumpet judgments, and more than a third of the remaining population will also die in a single trumpet judgment. If you put those numbers together, that would be four billion people total, plus all the other people who die in the other judgments. That's an enormous number of people dying as a result of these judgments. Well over half the population on earth will be dead. Many more will die in the other six trumpet judgments. And so I want to just look briefly at each of the seven judgments. I'm not going to really comment on them except for the first two. The first trumpet judgment is when God destroys the earth, one-third of The trees and one-third of all of the green grass is burned up. The second trumpet judgment is one-third of the seas. The salt water uh, seas are turned to blood, and a third of the animals in the sea, and a third of the ships that ply the waters of the sea are destroyed. The third trumpet, a third of the fresh water is poisoned. The fourth trumpet, a third of the sun and moon are darkened. The fifth trumpet is a demonic, locust-like creature released from the pit to torment all mankind, and yet they will be tormented for five months, and yet they will not die. God will not allow them to die, but they will be tormented for five months, except for the 144,000. The sixth trumpet is a third of all remaining humans, are killed. That's another, you know, roughly two billion people are killed. The seventh judgment, we read, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And then out of the seventh trumpet judgment, as we said, come the seven bowl judgments. So there's seven more that come as a result of the seventh trumpet judgment. Okay, let's take a look. The seven trumpet judgments begin in verse 6. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. And uh, verse 7, we have the first trumpet, and this trumpet is hail, fire, and blood. And it, it says, the first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. God has warned the world that sin must be judged, and this begins a series of sentences carried out by the Lord against the world. Hail and fire mixed with blood is poured out upon the earth. It destroys a third of all vegetation you know, it's interesting, man thinks he is completely in charge and completely in control of this planet, and he is not. We adore, not we, but man adores Mother Earth, as they call it. The Bible says that many have exchanged the truth of God for the lie and have worshipped and served the creature or the creation more than the creator. Is that true today? Just read. Just read any document online. Just read anything about environmentalism. Read it all. Listen to the news. Listen to your teachers in school, and they will pour this nonsense into your your head. It is absolute nonsense. They have worshipped the creation rather than the creator, and they are more concerned and more consumed with saving the planet than they are in saving souls. They have given themselves over to paganism, polytheism, and nature-based religion. And this religious fervor works its way into our everyday language. We celebrate Earth Day. How many on Earth celebrate the Lord's Day? We call earth our mother. Our world commends the environmental activism of Greta Thunberg. Do you remember her? And condemns the salvation offered by the Lord Jesus Christ. We are alarmed about greenhouse gases, holes in the ozone, pollution, saving our forests, and cutting ties with fossil fuels. Some of these things may actually be helpful. But the focus on them is cult-like. The Lord is going to radically change the focus of attention in this first trumpet judgment. One-third of all trees on the earth are going to be destroyed. Talk about pollution. Talk about gases. Talk about, you know, carbon footprint. The earth is the Lord's, the Bible says, and everything in it. And to demonstrate this fact to man... God burns up one-third of all the trees on the planet, enormous clouds of smoke ascend, soot fills the air, and we think that global warming is a problem now? You ain't seen nothing yet. In 1991, just going to talk about some recent history, local, and some a little bit further out. Some of you aren't old enough to remember 1991, I know that. But those of you who do that Sunday morning, I woke up. I came out to go to church. The air was very weird that morning. It was blowing from the um, the valley out to the bay, and I said to Krista, "I said I feel like something ominous is going to happen today. I don't know what it is, but I said I just I have this feeling inside of me that that something terrible is going to happen." By the time we return home. From church, there was a cloud of smoke pouring over the bay all the way to San Francisco, dropping embers, live embers, onto the city of San Francisco. 1991, fire swept through the Oakland Hills, killing 25 people, destroying 3,469 homes and apartments. In 2003, Southern California wildfires consumed forests equivalent to the size of the entire state of Rhode Island. In 2017, Northern California's Tubbs and Atlas Fires burned 160,000 acres, destroyed 5,700 buildings, and killed 43. The city of Santa Rosa lost 2,800 homes in those fires. 2018 brought us the campfire that destroyed the town of Paradise and the surrounding area. 81 people died. 152,000 acres were torched. In 2020, California lightning wildfires in northern coastal communities burned millions of acres and several thousand homes were destroyed. It goes beyond California. In 2021, the Lytton Creek fire destroyed 90% of the town of Lytton, British Columbia. And this year, 2023, the fires in Lahaina on Maui destroyed over 2,000 homes and killed over 100 people. And I'm just giving you a sampling. That's not everything in the world that happened. If you go and look it up on Google and you will see that year after year after year for for decades, centuries, you see major fires uh, destroying. But all of these fires combined that I've talked about this morning will be like the flames of a backyard fire pit in comparison to a third of the world being consumed by fire. The devastation brought about by the first trumpet judgment One-third of all trees will be burned up. There are roughly three trillion trees on the earth today. I don't know who counted. One trillion of them will be consumed. And that will be fruit trees, nut trees. Trees for pulp and paper, trees for furniture, housing, buildings, and more. Trees of every kind they will be consumed. One third of the trees will be burned up. But it will also mean, just like in these fires that I described, that the homes that are built around them will also be destroyed. Businesses and homes will be lost. People and animals will perish. Life as we know it will end. Insurance companies will fold. Banks who hold the mortgages will go belly up. Financial markets will crash and business losses will be incalculable. Trying to survive just this judgment and judgment after judgment will consume every waking hour and every waking moment. The devastating environmental impact will be like nothing we have ever experienced uh, before. But it's not just trees. One-third of all the green grass will be consumed as well. That is food for cows and sheep and goats, farm animals, and also wild animals uh, as well. And it will be devastating to farmers and ranchers throughout the world. The food supply will be decimated. The lack of grain will result in terrible famine, starvation, and death. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. God created the trees and grass and called it good. God created a perfect environment for us and we have absolutely destroyed it. In the beginning, God created. But in the end, God destroys the earth, the trees, and the grass because of our sins. God's judgment is coming. This is fair warning. Are you ready for his coming? Many commentators <clears throat> see a parallel between the trumpet judgments and the 10 great plagues of Egypt. And there are some similarities between them. For instance, Moses stood up to Pharaoh and the gods of the Egyptians and showed them to be impotent. In Exodus 9:23 through 29, we read, and Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted on the ground, and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, so, that, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast, and hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. Well, you say, wow, that's great. Pharaoh has finally repented. Pharaoh has finally had a change of heart. Pharaoh has finally turned to the Lord and he realizes that the judgments that God is pouring out upon the land of Egypt are to get his attention and to get him to repent of his sin. He knows this. He says this. And you say, isn't this wonderful? Pharaoh has repented. And then you read just a few verses later that as soon as God takes away the judgment, releases him from it, He hardens his heart again. And we do the same thing. How often in your life has God tried to get your attention? Maybe it's through sickness. Maybe it's through an accident. Maybe it's through some trial in your life. He's got your attention. You say, oh, Lord, I give myself to you. And then as soon as it's over, who is the Lord? And that's how Pharaoh acted. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And he hardened his heart. In the last days, most of the people who experience these judgments will be aware of why they're coming, will be aware that it is God judging them for their sins, but they will refuse to repent of their sins. They'll harden their hearts and will not repent. Okay, the second trumpet judgment is a great mountain burning with fire. It says in verse 8, Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain, burning with fire, was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. <clears throat> um, there is an enormous rock that is headed our way, and I don't believe that scientists are aware of it yet. Um, Its appearance is like a great mountain. When it enters into the Earth's atmosphere, and maybe even before, it will be burning with fire. It is likely a, a meteorite or an asteroid. And as it enters the Earth's atmosphere, it is ablaze with fire from the friction of our atmosphere and falls like a torch into the sea. The impact of this event is so devastating that a third of all sea creatures worldwide are destroyed. It will likely cause a tsunami of epic proportions, and that is probably what destroys a third of the ships that are in the seas. Such a cataclysmic event would wipe out everything in its path. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. And so God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. At this time, at the end, God destroys a third of all sea creatures because of our sin, and the seas are turned to blood. It's reminiscent of what God did in Egypt um, and the Nile River where he turned it into blood, and it was undrinkable for them. A third of all ships will be destroyed. That means sailing ships, merchant ships, navy ships, cargo ships, container ships, cruise lines. Imagine the disruption of commerce, fishing, and worldwide trade. Seaports will be decimated. The supply chain that we've already experienced as being a problem, problematic during COVID, um, it will be absolutely decimated. If it even exists, it will be gutted. Scientists currently are nervously watching our skies for NEOs. You're familiar with those, near-earth objects. They're trying to map the skies to watch the orbit or movement of every object in the heavens that might be on a collision course with the earth. In National Geographic back in 2002, they spotted an, an on January 7th, they spotted an asteroid the size of 3 football fields that streaked within 500,000 miles of the earth. That's twice the distance of the moon. But much more has been studied since 2002. As of November 30th, just a couple of days ago, NASA has now discovered 33,663 near-Earth asteroids of all sizes. 854 of these asteroids are greater than one kilometer in size. 13 near-Earth asteroids passed closer to the Earth than the Moon in the last 30 days. Did you know that? And 110 so far this year. So far, most of them have been small enough that they have either missed the Earth, or if they've entered the atmosphere, they've been small enough to burn up before they've hit the ground. On February 15th, 2013, people witnessed an asteroid exploding in the atmosphere above the city of um, Shelyabinsk. I'm not even sure if I'm saying that right, Russia. You may remember the story if you're old enough. And it was recorded on dash cams throughout this uh, city of Russia. People saw it. um, You can look up any footage you want online. The blast was estimated to be 30 times more energy than the Hiroshima bomb. The fact that it exploded high up into the, in the air saved countless lives. Uh, but even so, the shockwave damaged 7,200 buildings across six cities and sent 1,500 people to the hospital with injuries. The disturbing part about this asteroid is that no one, saw it coming. No one. And they're looking. No one knew. It was an asteroid hidden by the sun's glare and nobody saw it until it entered the earth's atmosphere. And although scientists are scouring the sky, they are confident. Let me emphasize this. They are confident that they don't know how many are out there. They have no idea and they have no idea about this near-Earth object like the one described here in Revelation chapter 8. They're not tracking that one yet, and they may never. Researchers believe that a mountain-sized asteroid or comet was has already hit the Earth in history, and they are studying an area beneath Mexico's Yucatan Peninsula. They think that a fiery ball of unimaginable violence penetrated Earth's crust And their research leads them to believe that the volume of molten material equaled millions of tons of rock enough to fill the Hudson Bay, which is that huge bay above Ontario, Canada. They suggest that when it happened, poisonous gases, dust, smoke, and fire from the impact blotted out out the sun, lowered temperatures, and contaminated the air for months or years, killing more than 75% of the plant and animal species in existence. Now, whether that happened or not, I don't know. It's still under research. The fact that it will happen is a fact. And a third of the sea creatures will die and a third of the ships will be destroyed. I can only imagine the impact of the tsunami, the tidal wave that will come as a result of it. Who knows how many coastal cities will be destroyed and how many millions of lives will be drowned in the judgment. Judgment is coming. This is the fair warning. Are you ready for the Lord's return? How can you be ready? Well, the Bible is very clear, and it's very simple. We are commanded by the Lord to repent of our sin. This is the very thing that the Lord says in Revelation, um, in the trumpet judgment, I think it's trumpet judgment number five or six, where he says that in spite of all these things, they still did not repent of their sins. By repenting of your sin, what does that mean? It means that you turn from it. You say, Lord, I I am a sinner. I have wronged you. I have been a criminal against you. That's what sin is. Crimes against God. Forgive me for my sin because Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins in full. The Lord Jesus Christ, I take him as my Savior and Lord. Today, the, the Bible tells us this. In the tribulation, that's not the time of salvation for those who have heard. Today is the day of salvation for you. In the future, most people on earth do not repent of their sins, but today is the acceptable day. Today, you can repent. Today, you can turn to the Savior, have your sins forgiven, and avoid the judgment to come. God is merciful, and he says in Scripture, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. If you trust in the Lord, you're not going to be ashamed of that. He's going to save your soul because you're trusting in him. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you don't know the Lord today, man, this is the time. This is the time to trust in him. And if you do know the Lord, it's time to be telling your friends. It's time to be telling your neighbors. It's time to be telling those around you in your life. The Lord is coming. His coming is is very near. Let's just close in prayer and then we'll have a, a closing hymn. Lord, as we look again at these uh, judgments, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Lord, you are righteous and holy in uh, demanding a penalty for sin, and we have sinned against you. Lord, we thank you for the provision that you made uh, for the payment for our sin in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross and shed his blood for us. And Lord, we, we cry out to you that those who still don't know you today would make this the day of salvation. Lord, we pray that we might reach those last stragglers who still haven't repented yet and that they too might come soon to the Savior. We say with the book of Revelation, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We long to be uh, in a place, Lord, free from sin and uh, unrighteousness, unholiness, Lord a place where we are at peace finally with you. And we look forward to that t- the day of your coming that you will take us home to be with you for all eternity. Lord, may this be the day in Jesus' name.